Welcome to our Forever Young podcast, where we chat about ways to keep our bodies and minds young, because you're never too old to become younger. My name is Christiana Eggy, and my name is Sherry Marie Chu. Today we are going to talk about sleeping for health, and I brought a friend along to help break it down for us. That's right. I'm so looking forward to this. Please meet Dr. Uche Odiatu. It's nice to meet you, Dr. Odiatu. Hey, likewise. It's an, it's an exciting subject, so I am raring to go. We're actually very fortunate to have Dr. Odiatu, who is an internationally acclaimed speaker, the author of The Miracle of Health, and a practicing dentist in Toronto, Canada. He's certified as a personal trainer, yoga instructor, and boot camp instructor. Is also a professional member of the American College of Sports Medicine. This very busy dental professional has been a guest on over 400 radio and television shows, including ABC 2020 and Canada AM. He has given over 500 lectures in Canada, the US, Denmark, Bermuda, England, Jamaica, Norway and the Bahamas, and the list goes on. His <laughs> <laughs> number one goal today is to ignite your passion for health. Wow, that is impressive, Dr. Odiatu. We are very grateful for your time with us today on the Forever Young podcast. And with all your talents, you'll be talking to us about the importance of sleep. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a neat subject. I, I, you think of New Year's resolutions. And people always pick health as number one New Year's resolution. In all my years on the planet, in all my years as a doctor, in all my years as a coach, I've never heard anyone say, this year I'm getting more sleep. It's always cigarettes, smoking, exercise. No one mentions sleep. And it's literally the foundation of everything else. Nothing happens unless you get between seven to nine hours a night. And so, Christiana, we've had all of our podcasts all in the wrong, all in the wrong order. We should have started with sleep. Right. But, well, it is awesome to meet you. And so, as we always do, let's invite our friends to curl up with us on the couch or even better, take us out for a walk as we discuss sleep. Okay, Christiana, why don't we chat about our sleep first, and then maybe Dr. Odiatu, you can give us some insight on what we're doing right and maybe what we can improve on. I'll go first. Dr. Odiatu, I have a friend. Let's call her Bristiana. And she goes to bed at like two o'clock in the morning on the regular and sleeps till 10 a.m., I'm not exactly sure what she's doing up all night long, but she's been known to work late into the evenings and even send emails out as late as midnight or even 1 a.m. What should I tell my friend about her sleep patterns? Very funny, Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> Your friend, Bristiana, is actually living it up. I personally wake up between 7 and 7.30 no matter when I go to bed, be it at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m., and I very rarely sleep until 10 a.m. <laughs> that would be such a blessing. But I'm sure the doctor has some ideas for my friend, Bristiana. Yeah, there's a great case 
study to share. You'd be surprised. And I think that in 2021 and for the last how many, 30, 40 years, a lot of businesses in the corporate world, they brag about how little sleep they need. You'll hear a lot of CEOs, you'll hear presidents, you'll hear leaders and CEOs and managers say, I don't need more than four. Uh, I love my new hire. All she needs is five hours a night. However, with the latest science behind sleep and what it does to the mind and memory and processing emotion, emotional intelligence, immune system health, reproductive health, physical attractiveness, you'd be surprised how there's really no advantage of um, staying up later. From, from learning is handicapped, memory is handicapped, knee-jerk reactions, the amygdala. The amygdala is the very primitive part of the brain. It's, it's called your reptilian brain. It's actually 60% more reactive after a night of poor sleep. So fly off the handle, short-tempered, inability to motivate those around you. So that alone means that you don't have the same Solomon-like wisdom that you'd have if you have seven to nine hours. So that being said, I've given you a loaded couple of sentences there, but there's really no convincing argument for anyone saying, I get less sleep and I get more productive because all the science, the neuroscience says, you're literally working with one hand behind, tied behind your back. Absolutely. I agree. <laughs> Although I have a very bad sleeping habit. Like I remember as a student in high school, I found that I was more productive when I slept and then woke up in the wee hours of the morning to study. Because if I stayed up, I could be reading the same sentence over and over again without comprehending it. But when I do sleep and wake up very early, I'm fresh, refreshed, and I just absorb things more quickly. I try to tell that to my children. But you know what's interesting, though? As important as sleep is, unfortunately, students have to study hard, right? And I was reading something about the hippocampus, how it's really severely affected and because retaining memory, but that if, if people were to get enough sleep, they would actually do better in their tests, right? But it's unfortunate, there's no choice when you're a student. It won't take medical doctors, especially emergency room doctors. What can they do? They have to work these long hours, right? So I think the best thing we can do is that in those moments where we are not working or studying, we should try to catch up on sleep. Does that help? Yeah, great question. They said it's a myth. You can catch up on weekends. Basically, what they're saying is after seven days in a row of six hours a night, which is a lot of people think six hours is fine. After seven days of, of in a study uh, getting six hours a night, the people performed as, as poorly as someone who stayed up all night. So sleep debt is cumulative. And to show you how deadly it is for the, for the, the overall health, the Guinness Book of Records um, used to have sleep deprivation records on. They said a person went without sleep for four days or seven days. They've now taken all sleep deprivation records out of the Guinness Book, but they still allow people to swallow glass, nails, go in a cave with tigers and bats, and even allowed a guy named Baumgartner to skydive 20,000 feet above the earth. But they took out all sleep deprivation records to show you how science knows, but it hasn't caught up in the corporate world because we still talk about, hey, my, my new partner only sleeps five hours a night. Well, your new partner might also more likely to steal from you, earn less, have a poor memory, and be less motivating. Because a number of studies showed that people who on average sleep less than seven hours a night often earn 5% less than their uh, cohort who get more sleep. We've also shown that people, the leaders and CEOs and managers, they did a double-blind study where they 
ask the employees what was the mood like in your office the last 30 days. And they, they compared it with the boss whose sleep patterns. Well, every day that the boss slept well, they said it was really good mood, great atmosphere. I felt supported. Any day the boss slept poorly, it was directly related to the next day being poor motivator, caused, antagonized the staff, volatile, reactive. Matthew Walker, sleep scientist out of Berkeley, said if the corporate world knew how powerful uh, good sleep was, they'd make it a job requirement. Hmm. It's, 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 the science is in, but it, it might not filter down to the general population for a good five years, we still talk about, oh, my son's doing great at school. He, he, he always goes to bed at midnight, gets up at five. He's such a hard worker. Well, he's also set up, set his life up for low testosterone, poor memory, and systemic disease, insulin resistance, which is diabetes, and heart disease. So we can go at any one of these conversations. There, there's really no compelling evidence to say how being a, a less sleeper is good for you. I'm so loaded. I didn't risk of not giving Sherry a chance to speak. I was just thinking while you were talking that if we actually had to start um, looking, looking at statistics of auto vehicle accidents that are caused from sleep deprivation would be even worse, be a lot more than the ones caused by drunk drivers, but nothing is being studied, like especially the long distance drivers. Maybe they should look at doing something about those type of situations. Well, I think they do actually. They're actually told to keep logbooks. I think there's a certain amount of hours a day they're allowed to drive. They're not allowed to drive any more than a certain amount of hours every day because they've actually shown when a, a car gets in an accident of a sleep-deprived person, usually uh, the person who dies is that person in another car. When you know a 10,000-ton semi-trailer gets in an accident from a sleep-deprived driver, it takes out four to five lives. But they've also shown sleep-deprived people, actually, they have more accidents and more deaths than people from drugs or alcohol. So sleep deprivation kills more people on the road from vehicles than drugs and alcohol. But you, you'll never get a, a, a ticket for um, being, not being sleepy, but you'll get a ticket for alcohol and drugs. So they just don't know how to quantify it. They just don't know how to, they'll know if you're asleep at the wheel or, but they also had one way to tell that it's a sleep-deprived accident because there's no breaking. Literally, the sleepy person just goes right off the cliff. While the alcohol or drug person, there's a delay in the breaking. They're still awake enough to break. So when they see no breaks, it means the person was asleep at the wheel. But, but what is being done? Like, it's not public knowledge because it's not being talked about. Like, I, I didn't even know there was all that statistics and stuff like that. So, Sherry, did you know that? Yeah, I, I've heard some of this in the past. And we we always are reminded when we change our clocks twice a year. And we all know like when we lose this hour of sleep that we just had in the spring that they have had a lot of, they've shown a lot of accidents on the road because of just the one hour change in sleep that we all get in our routines even. So it's, it's really interesting to me that the science behind the need for sleep and the need for seven to nine hours that you're telling us is so conclusive. It's there. And yet we don't talk about it. It's not accepted because people are so used to this culture of being busy and this, it's almost like a badge of pride that people wear when they say, I don't need sleep. 
But maybe what's interesting to me, Dr. Odiatu, maybe you can, I don't know how much you know about meditation and mm-hmm. sleep and how I've read, like meditation is so interesting to me for many reasons, but I've also read that people who meditate need less sleep. What's your take on that? Interesting. Whether they need less or they get to sleep quicker and they increase their sleep efficiency. So if you sleep very efficient, like some people say I'm in bed nine hours, but you got sleep efficiency might only be six hours. So some people might be in bed a long time, but if it takes them an hour to get to sleep and they wake up in the middle of the night and they text for 45 minutes, their, their sleep efficiency isn't nine hours. So I think meditation allows the body to relax. Exercise helps the body to relax. Going to bed with prayer or some kind of, some kind of spiritual practice, which lowers muscular tension, lowers cortisol, allows a person to relax. So it definitely increases sleep efficiency. But I think people who meditate may not do it to sleep less, but you just sleep deeper, which means all levels of physiology, all levels of emotionality, all levels of memory do, do improve. But I think people who meditate do it because it, it betters every part of their life, not necessarily they can sleep less, but it definitely makes you sleep more efficiently. So if I was going to partner with someone in a business and we both had to borrow $10 million, knowing what I know now about sleep and all the courses I've taken, the sleep-deprived partner is more likely to steal from me (laughs) (laughs) than the person who sleeps eight hours a night. He or she will be much more even keeled, a better memory. A big part of even just give an idea, just one little like uh, some of the science behind sleep. They say we process emotion and memory during REM. REM sleep is is rapid eye movement sleep. Um, They say we need about 100 minutes a night, 100 minutes a night for good emotional well-being and a good memory. This is where the memory, this is what Christiana talked about. So your short-term memories get taken and put into long-term storage in the prefrontal cortex for long-term memory. This happens during REM sleep. So you need seven to nine hours to get 100 minutes. So if someone's sleeping six hours, they're not getting 100 minutes. So they will always have a poor memory, have troubles with cell phone numbers, call their kid's name by the dog name, by the spouse's name, by the neighbor's name. And they're also more likely to fly off the handle. So when you think about emotional intelligence, now that people talk about emotional intelligence might be more important than IQ, if you fly off the handle, uh, poor memory for names, if you're very reactive, emotional intelligence goes down. So if this whole push now is emotional intelligence being important, emotional intelligence goes down with poor sleep. So you definitely see there, there is no advantage of sleeping less. And I think to listen to people who want to have a reason to sleep more, the emotional part, the memory part. So we could talk about immune system health and obviously the tendency towards cognitive decline and Alzheimer's yeah. re- definitely correlated with a lifetime of being a poor sleeper. Right. So cognitive decline and Alzheimer's, which is a terrifying diagnosis because there's no cure, has definitely, but a Stanford sleep research team has shown it's correlated with a lifetime of being a poor sleeper. So if, if that's true, is, is there a point, like say a 30-year-old wakes up and says, I've been sleeping poorly my whole life. I'm going to work hard now to sleep seven to nine hours a night. Can we reverse what we've been living up until that point? Or is there a point where it's not helpful anymore? Yeah, the brain does repair. I think up to about year 2000, we thought the brain had no baby stem cells. They thought that once a neuron dies, it's dead. We now know since 1999, Erickson and Von Retter, Von Page saw, they found stem cells in the hippocampus. This is people in their 90s. So the brain does repair. So 30, you're not, it's not too late. The body's always trying to repair itself. But habits run deep though. A habit's like a trench in a country road. So, yeah. but I, I, know, I don't know many people though who's saying this year, I'm going to become a master sleeper. I've never heard anyone say that. However, if you look at the world's top performing athletes 
who earn anywhere from 20 to 50 to $80 million a year. So Roger Federer, Michael Phelps, Tom Brady, think of eight MVP rings, 10 Super Bowls, Serena Williams, and Usain Bolt. All of them sleep anywhere from nine to 11 hours a night. So world-class athletes and people who, who do their sport longer, earn more money, have less injury, all sleep a lot. So the whole day and age of the rookies staying up all night drinking and carousing is actually a liability for the team. And there's now actually some NBA teams that actually almost have like a contract. Like players have to get a certain amount of sleep because they've shown your free throw accuracy goes down um, when you sleep less than eight hours. So you can actually sabotage your team's playoff predictability by being a poor sleeper. Wow. Interesting. You know about the effects or impact sleep has on your health overall, like you were talking about memory and, and also in terms of inflammation. So how would you describe the impact of sleep on overall health, not just the memory or the brain, but generally speaking? Okay. Uh, see, they, they divide sleep into stages. There's one, two, three, four, which is non-REM or non-rapid eye movement sleep. And then the fifth stage is REM sleep. In the first half of the night, if you think of, think of a night as being eight hours, in the first four hours, the body spends more time in, in getting deep sleep, non-REM sleep. In the latter half of the life, the body spends, half of the night, the body spends more time, not all of it, but more REM cycles. The, but the body actually goes through cycles. Each, each cycle takes about 90 minutes. So the cycles are play more into deep sleep in the first half, and more into rapid eye, not that rapid eye movement sleep is lighter, but it's not as deep as the, the non-REM. So the first half of the night, they said that the body's 60,000 miles of blood vessels are bathed in anti-inflammatory hormones. And you get a, the body is actually creating a very healthy cardiovascular system. In the latter half of, of the night, it's more emotional, cognitive, psychological renewal. That's why if you get up early, two hours earlier, for whatever reason, with a new job or catching a train or working out, you're actually sabotaging your emotional, psychological, and memory health. If you go to bed later, you're actually sabotaging your physical and your cardiovascular renewal. So you've got to think of the ideal sleep time. And even though I, I've, I've read that it didn't matter, but they're also, they said 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. is like the ideal. So you go to bed a few hours after sundown, you get up at sunrise. And they thought it was a cliche, but a lot of the sleep scientists are now saying this is ideal. So if someone goes to bed at 2 a.m. and still gets up at 6 a.m., They've actually cut their physical renewal time by almost fully. And now they might get some emotional cognitive renewal, but they're not going to get the physical renewal. So now they're more likely to have joint pain, uh, chronic injuries that don't get better, skin issues that don't get better. Because the skin, basically, you get a new skin cell. Your new skin is every 30 days. So if you have a blemish that stays there after 30 days, basically the skin is not able to repair itself. And there's many people have eczema, psoriasis, acne, blemishes, rosacea, and they have them for a lifetime. A lifetime of poor sleep because sleep is when the body heals. German researchers said that our immune system basically is only on standby during the day. It goes into high gear at nighttime. So poor sleepers, they've actually been called a group 2A carcinogen. Shift work has been called a group 2A carcinogen because of its ability to sabotage the immune system health. So, so we haven't really been complimentary about anyone who stays up late anymore. You look at people who brag about they used to, they used to get really little sleep. So Margaret Thatcher, Talked about getting four hours a night. She ended up with a cognitive disease and lots of dementia. I think Pope John Paul used to sleep very little, two, three hours a night. Ronald Reagan, also Parkinson's or cognitive disease, one of the top four 
come Jesus also used to get three or four hours sleep a night. So it's amazing how people who sleep poorly often set the tone for cognitive decline in the 70 plus years. When you should be enjoying your family, enjoying your legacy, many times their memory decline and one of the four serious uh, cognitive diseases, Alzheimer's being the number one. The other thing that usually comes hand in hand with um, the sleep deprivation is aging. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I like- well, they call it beauty sleep, right? So when you think of Angela Jolie and Halle Berry, and you wonder if J-Lo stays up all night, or Halle Berry stays up all night, or Madonna stays up all night, or Angela Jolie stays not. up all night. <laughs> I don't think so. She has six, six kids, six nannies. So obviously they can afford to do it, but... If beauty is your trademark, if beauty is your brand, you do not want to be an all-nighter. And if you look at the, the, the actors who look who stay up all night, Nick Nolte, Elvis Presley at the end, Jim Morrison at the end, Kurt Cobain, Janis Joplin, Freddie Prince, these are all people who left the earth too soon. And a hallmark of that is poor sleeper. Hallmark is for poor sleeper because you don't get the emotional control. The minute you, you remember we talked about earlier, the, the amygdala, the amygdala is 60% more active. Your amygdala is your reptilian brain. It's your emotional brain, uh, not tempered by society's norms and discipline. So if you're a poor sleeper, right away, next day, your amygdala is 60% more reactive. So fly off the handle, less impulse control, less discipline to go to the gym, more likely to get into an argument. You do that two, three, four nights, a summer, a year, a decade. How many friends will you have? How will you? <laughs> you won't remember their phone numbers or their names. My friend, Bristiana, better go to bed. <laughs> I should not be talking with you on the podcast any longer. <laughs> I not even know when it's on. <laughs> That's interesting. We really do take sleep for granted. Some people have trouble sleeping. I, I, I think I found that later when I had friends who went through menopause and um, starting to have difficulty sleeping. There are some people who, like some of my residents, who don't sleep at night because they basically did not sleep at home. So you, you're not going to medicate anyone to sleep. So what do you do for those people? Like, how do you help people with, there are so many types of sleep problems. Yeah. So what do you do with that? Well, supposedly that science says there's 100 sleep disorders, 100. The most common being insomnia. Second is sleep apnea. Apnea is one of the ones where you actually stop breathing. Very serious. One third of all people who suffer strokes and 140,000 people every year die of strokes in the United States. 800,000 year strokes in the United States. So 80,000 strokes in Canada and about um, 14,000 deaths from stroke. Two thirds of people who have strokes have sleep apnea, where the body actually stutter starts and they, people actually don't sleep deep because they're oxygen's interrupted to their brain, either from a tongue falling back, uh, a bigger neck, shorter neck, smokers, inactivity during the day, lazy muscles in the face and neck, someone who eats a lot of soft foods. Anytime you think there's a lot of convenient foods that are soft, so you don't have to chew anymore. There's about 30 muscles in the face. If you're just basically drinking um, smoothies and shakes, what happens is these muscles get lazy. These muscles get lazy not only for chewing, they also get lazy for breathing. They also get lazy for breathing while you're sleeping. So as you lay back, the tongue is falling back into a very flaccid throat and you don't actually wake up, but the brain wakes up and it wakes you up out of deep sleep where growth hormone, acetylcholine, dopamine, and the body's trying to renew. So these people undergo accelerated aging, inflammatory conditions, poor immune system, poor memory. But, but, the, but if you want to appeal to our vanity, accelerated aging. People who sleep poorly will often undergo accelerated aging. So 
if someone's lucky enough to have great genes that they look great, they're basically hampering that by being a poor sleeper. If that, if that yeah. makes sense. So you can, it's you can like not, genes. it's like not wearing sunscreen. <laughs> yeah. You can get away with it, but look how good your skin be if you did or saying, yeah. I'm really smart. I'm not going to go to university. Well, look how many people could help if you did get a BA or a master's or a PhD. So you can say, I, I educated myself on the street of hard knocks. They could be a, a potential genius, but guess what? Elon Musk did try, did get that first degree. Bill Gates did get three years of university. Steve Jobs did go to three years. And that's where he learned his fonts that made his Apple and Mac so beautiful. So there's something to be said. If you want to dot your eyes and you think we're always dotting our eyes. If you, if you put, if you're attractive, but you put perfume on, you're dotting your eyes. Okay. <laughs> or if you put deodorant on, you're dotting your eyes. You can say, you know what? I'm going all natural this summer. Well, why not put some deodorant on, put, throw some perfume on and add to your attractiveness? You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good analogy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other thing also that I want you to speak on is the impact of sleep on the male and female reproductive systems. Oh, yeah. well, it's a big business. In, in the IVF treatment, outside of the patients, they'll say, I'm not going to get an x-ray today. I, I'm, I might be pregnant or we're trying, so no x-rays, which is fine. And always hard-driving couples in their 30s. It's never people, they said the commonality of people trying to get pregnant is sick, working 60 hours a week, lots of stress, poor sleepers. They've actually shown that women, after night of poor sleep, the follicle-releasing hormone, FSH, which helps you get pregnant, is 20% less for 24 hours after. Men who are poor sleepers, sperm count is down by 29%. That's a third. Men also have disrupted testosterone after night of poor sleep. So less ability to make decisions, grumpy. All these things lower your ability to attract a mate or to conceive. So but you can, so you can either be a, get better sleep as part of your, your conception program, or you can spend anywhere from ten dollars to $50,000 to try and get pregnant. But, but again, is sleep a part of that? No, because sleep has seemed like such a, a cheap thing to get. People think, oh, yeah, you need to sleep more. Let's get you in for the IVF treatment. Well, the sleep is like 29% increased sperm count. 20% the follicle releasing hormone. So I, I know these clinics often talk about stress and sleep, but is it is it a primary promoting or is it part of the brochure? So I really feel the athlete show, the top performing athletes get good sleep. In Hollywood, if you want to look good for long periods of time, you get good sleep. If you want to have a good memory, you want to get a good sleep. <laughs> so it, it's really incredible how we don't think of it as trying to, cons- you know, people talk about, oh, my husband and I are trying to get pregnant. Uh, it's always, oh, he works seven days a week. How are you working? I'm working six days a week. Yeah, we barely see each other. Oh, that's great. How, how's your chance of getting pregnant? You barely see each other. So, you know, the wife will tap a watch and say, oh, got to call my husband. Well, get, get seven to nine hours, increase that follicle releasing hormone. So the body wants you to get sleep. The body wants you to be horizontal. Oh, maybe that's the way you get pregnant. I've got it. I spend more time horizontally. I have another question for you. So what about naps? Do naps help at all? Or like when I used to work downtown, I definitely got less than seven hours of sleep a night, but I was like, it's okay because I'm going to sleep on the train. I'm going to sleep on the way to the city and I'm going to have a nap on the way home. Yeah, great. And depending on your age, like if you're, if you are getting less than seven, nine hours, a a 20 minute, they say 25 minute nap maximum, but it has to be before three thirty, four o'clock. After four o'clock, it inhibits your ability to fall asleep later. So they said even after three o'clock, napping is going to mess mess with your your melatonin later on that day. The body has a circadian rhythm. It doesn't it doesn't want you horizontal at three thirty. That's the reason why people who sleep during the day, shift workers, they live up to ten years less 
up to 10 years less. So they said sleeping though 20 to 30 minutes so before three o'clock is like an hour. So for a new mom with a baby, the baby goes down, instead of cleaning up and tidying up and wallpapering your living room, go down with the baby. Because again, moms know babies are grumpy when they don't get sleep. Hey, new mom is grumpy when she doesn't get sleep. So you're definitely more fun and more happy to be around being a good sleeper. So naps do work. But if, if they're your go-to all the time, that may not be a good, it's like saying, I always use my visa advance for my money management. Well, that might work in a crunch, but I wouldn't use that as your regu- as your financial path to freedom, financial freedom. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I have an interesting question, especially for us women, people that are always wanting to lose weight. One of the biggest factor of not being able to lose weight or putting on weight, especially in the mid-session, is because of the cortisol that is released when you're not sleeping. What would you say? Because I'm sure that if a lot of people know that they can sleep to lose weight, they will actually sleep more, right? <laughs> well, you think so. I think lots of studies show, uh, many scientific studies show how the, the less you sleep, the harder it is to, to, the harder it is to lose weight. And the more your body clings to the body fat you have. And they said, everything makes sense when you look at evolution. When you like, so as Aransky, research, sleep researcher said, when you look at at evolution, anytime you slept less. So right now, our DNA and genes have very little change in the last 10,000 or 20,000 years. We're pretty much the same 10 to 20,000 years ago. The only time the three of us ever slept less 10 to 20,000 years ago was when there was a famine coming. We were stressed out or your group had to leave at that point. So our ancient body, our brains, our nervous systems, our hormonal systems clue in. Anytime we're sleeping less, for whatever reason, the body thinks fight or flight, there must be danger. Anytime the body experiences or feels there's danger, cortisol goes up. Cortisol is incompatible with melatonin. That's why at nighttime when you're stressed out, worrying, angsting over whatever it is, justifiable or not, when cortisol is high, melatonin's low. Cortisol is never high and melatonin's high. So anytime you're worrying, angsting, cortisol's high, you will not be sleeping for a good amount of time until you finally either say, let go, let God, prayer, count your blessings. So anytime cortisol's high, melatonin's low. That being said, if someone's getting five hours, six hours sleep a night, the body thinks, hey, there must be a famine coming. Guess what happens? The body slows down metabolism. It makes your cells more insulin resistant. It lowers your ability to feel satisfied with food. So it wants to make you overeat at the buffet. And also ghrelin, which is a hunger neurotransmitter released in the GI tract, increases. So you get more, you get hungrier, even with the same amount of activity with less sleep. You become less leptin sensitive, which means you get less satisfied with a big plate. You're like, wow, I had a plate. I still want more. And three, you become more insulin resistant, which is a hallmark of the pre-diabetic condition, which is on the way to diabetes which again is a one way to accelerate your early demise is by being a poor blood sugar manager. Andrew Weil, integrated medical doctor out of Arizona, said, if you want to speed up your speed up your your speed up, you want to accelerate aging, become become more poor at being a, a blood sugar manager. So become insulin resistant. So that being said, when you don't sleep much, you get hungrier, you get less satisfied, the metabolism changes, and you want to eat more. Hence, under five hours a night, more likely to be obese or overweight. So BMI over 30, which basically is a 30% of the population. So if there's 350 million North Americans, 105 million have a BMI over 30. 105 million. It used to be only 5% back in the 1960s. Now it's 35%. And it's going nowhere but up. 
It's going nowhere but up. And it's a, it is, and it's a precipitating factor for cardiovascular disease, cognitive decline, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, accelerated aging. It's, it's incredible. There, there's, when, even as I tell you now, I can't wait to get to bed tonight. I'm thinking, I'm thinking this is crazy. Like, you know. It is crazy. No, it is crazy. I think maybe just to wrap this all up, there's a couple of things that we can chat about. But first, I'm really interested in knowing, being that you are a dentist, Mm-hmm. Is there anything a dentist can do for us to help our sleep be better? Well, there's lots of courses right now, postgraduate courses in, in, in sleep dentistry. What they're doing is they're looking into sleep medicine. And what they're doing is there's courses we could take, there's postgrad courses online in, in live. We, there's actually polysonography is an all-night sleep study. In Canada, because of universal health care, it doesn't cost anything. In the States, it costs anywhere up to two to $3,000 for the night. Dentists who are qualified can send you home with a, a, a portable or take-home version because some people just can't sleep in a new setting. People say, I tried an all study, I had to leave after two hours. Even though the sleep study technicians say they have enough information, people still feel, I don't think my data is going to be correct. So dentists now, by if you're taking these courses, or what you can do is if I see a mouth or a person, if, if someone's falling asleep in, in the middle of a root canal, if I get someone falling asleep at 10 a.m., if someone's yawning at 9 o'clock and they said they slept eight hours, if you got a 24-year-old with bags under their eyes, if you have someone with lots of inflammation, the gums are bleeding and they do floss and they do brush, those are all signs. That if someone has a, a tongue with the imprints of the teeth on the side, it's called a scalloped border. So you can simply look in the person's mouth. And if you see a scalloped border, what it means is at nighttime, that person is sucking on the tongue to bring it forward away from the airway. So at night, when you should be relaxing, the, the tongue, which is one of the most strongest, most powerful muscles in the body, is actively working hard, being sucked forward to open up the airway. Now I know they're not sleeping deep because the brain is saying, I got to help you stay alive. But at the same time, sleep efficiency goes down because the muscles aren't relaxed. So at that point, I'll ask, I'll tell the person, do you ever fall asleep in the middle of the day? Yes. How much coffee? Five cups a day. Do you, have, do, you need, do you need a coffee first thing in the morning? Yes. Do you ever feel like you go back to bed first thing in the morning? Yes. Do, do you ever find yourself having an emotional outburst? Yes. I say, you know, maybe talk to your medical doctor about getting a sleep study done. Tell him or her all those things. Because you're basically, you're shortening your life. And I think when you hear from a dentist, it's like, wow, there's nothing you can do. There's no ulterior motive. Except dentists, though, do make, we can make an appliance to help bring the jaw forward. But only if the person's sleep issue is is not severe. But if you have a severe sleeping issue, you have to wear a CPAP machine, which is a three to $6,000 machine that a person wears on their face. It's made and designed by medical doctors. And they have to have an all-night sleep study to do it. But most people just don't want to wear them or they call success wearing it four nights a week. Well, the other three nights, what does that mean? They're dying. So at that point, then you get permission from your doctor that said a a trained dentist can actually make an appliance that brings the jaw forward. And as it brings the jaw forward, the tongue is brought forward and now the airway is open. It means you got to wear an appliance at nighttime. But if you're not going to wear a machine, even though you've tried and tried and tried, it's been measured, it's been adjusted. This is the only way that's going to help save you. Then you might wear an appliance. So Dentists do get involved when you see these classic signs. It's, it's very, it's, it's interesting how people see us as the tooth people. Meanwhile, oxygen is one of the number one human needs. And if you're not getting it, that tongue borders are scalloped and people are, are not doing well. Wow. That's amazing. That's crazy. That is, yeah, it's very interesting. And so what are some suggestions, especially being a certified yoga instructor, what are some ways that we can sleep, especially with all these numerous sleep disorders? 
So there must be natural ways to sleep. You mentioned melatonin several times. I know that you can buy that over the counter to help sleep and you, you don't become addicted to it. But I'm sure there are other ways to to sleep without even taking any pills. So what, what are some of these ways you can tell us, please? Okay. As human beings, we love quick fixes, right? When you get upset that your, your laptops are turning on, you send your text, it's not going instantly. Like we want instant fix. So a lot of people think I'll just buy some melatonin. Quality varies. Any supplement in Canada, it's basically, they, they didn't want to have as much regulation as the pharmaceutical industry. So over-the-counter supplements aren't regulated as much as the prescription drugs are, are, at all. So melatonin used to be a prescription. You couldn't buy it in Canada. Now it is over-the-counter. So quality varies. Matthew Walker, a sleep scientist out of Berkeley, said that melatonin works very well for people over 70, but only short-term. you got to figure out what's going on that you're not sleeping. Is it grieving from the death of a spouse? Is it because your curtains are too sheer and the light is keeping your eyes open? Is your room too hot? Do you have three dogs on the bed? I'm serious. This is one of it. All these things sabotage your sleep. And melatonin is not going to make up for having three dogs on the bed, beautiful Martha Stewart curtains, and a room that's like a hot yoga studio. So, so, so people want the quick fix, but they don't want to do the work. So that being said, melatonin could work for, for road warriors, short bears of time. But Matthew Walker says over 70. There's other easy things, though, because if you don't have sleep apnea, and, you, and you're not over 70, what you got to do is just go to bed on time. And they said anytime after six o'clock or anytime after sundown, our, our eyes only want the light of a fire on them. So when you have 20 pot lights in a home, when you're looking at your laptop till 10 o'clock at night, when you're looking at your 85 inch 4K monster 3D, 4D interactive computer on your wall, especially in front of your bedroom, what happens is the brain thinks it's daylight. So you've watched your eight foot TV, you have 22 pot lights. You have a fridge you went down for snacking. Uh, your room is 80 degrees because um, your partner likes it hot. You will not be sleeping at night. So you got to think accelerated aging, increased chance of body fat, poor immune system, and increased chance of getting diagnosed with prediabetes or diabetes. So it's a slow suicide is what sleep researchers are saying. So the whole idea is look at your sleep hygiene. So look at how, how bright your lights are. But if you have a family of four, family of six, you can't, if you're the only sleepmeister, guess what? You have a problem. So one way to do it, there's orange glasses you can buy. And again, this is probably too much for just it was one program. There are orange glasses you can buy online, anywhere from 20 to $80. And they block out light to the level of orangeness in them. And they take out the blue light. And Harvard did a study, three studies now over the last nine years, to show how blue light from electronic devices interferes with sleep depth and increases chance of inflammation and, 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 and disease. So the whole idea being is, Orange glasses definitely show the science works. And now sports teams are now wearing, buying these glasses for the whole team. If you saw the Raptors a couple of years ago for those late night press conferences, sunglasses or dark orange glasses. So there's no one brand I can mention, but that's definitely one way. The other way is just keep the room cooler. The body likes to have, they said, an ambient temperature of 60, 60 to 2 to 66 degrees Fahrenheit. I don't know the exact cellulose. And the body actually sleeps deeper when the ambient temperature of the room is cooler. You might think it's not comfortable, but you'll come out of it with a deeper sleep. Three, cool. a, sleep a sleep mask. <laughs> Wearing a sleep mask blocks out light. A lot of the visual cortex is with sleep. So if you have sheer curtains, a partner that's reading beside you, your iPhone beeping beside you, what happens is a sleep mask for $5 at a drugstore can totally lower the visual input and allow the brain, because again, we said 10 to 20,000 years old, allows it to drift off to sleep. So those are three easy hacks. So sleep mask, orange glasses, and a cooler room. 
Wonderful. This has been such a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much, Dr. Odiatu. And I'm very pleased to let our listeners know that you are very willing to come back to discuss so many other topics. So it's just been a pleasure having you and we appreciate your time. Yes, thank you very much, Dr. Odiatu. It was very nice to meet you. And there's just so much that I'm taking away from this. And I think the first thing I'm going to try and do is I'm going to try and get to that optimal sleep time from 10 to 6. <laughs> I'm going to try. Uh-huh. Not with my friend Bristiana always texting <laughs> and emailing, but I'm, I'm going to try. I, I'll, I think I'll start with maybe 11 being there from at 11, 11 to seven. Well, that's, that's beautiful. Like it's an inch by inch getting healthy yes. is a cinch. Yard by yard is hard. So little still steps. Just try going half an hour earlier. But but I think both of you have great skin. So if I, if I didn't know any better, just the sharpness of your minds and the lucidity of your conversation, I would say you're good sleepers. But but you can totally go in the, the Halle Berry, Angela Jolie direction <laughs> by dotting your eyes hard and Tom Brady, 43. He kicked the butt of a, a, another quarterback 20 years younger, two decades younger. That's incredible. 43 years of age, where most athletes are 15 years past due. So he's a testament to 10 hours a night. James Le- LeBron James, nine hours a night. So th- the proof is in the pudding. It's just that it's that easy. But like they always, like Mark Twain said, what's easy to do is easy not to do because sleep is cheap. So you think, ah, I'll catch up on the weekend. I'll catch up on the weekend. Not really. <laughs> so I know you will be coming back to join us again. But in the meantime, if people want to get a hold of you, where can they do that? You know, Instagram is a really good place. I, I post three or four times a day. So I'm not sure. I'm, uh, Instagram and Twitter. So m- my account is at Fit Speakers. So Fit Speakers. But also, if, if you just go online and put oh, Dr. Uchi Dentist Fitness, I, out of 7 billion people, I'm the only Uchi Fitness Dentist guy online. So you'll see all these articles and lectures that I do. I, I, I just lectured in Nebraska last week. I'm doing something for San Obispo, California this Friday. So I'm sharing all the time. I, I love sharing. I love getting, I, I, I believe it's unfair for me to know this and have people who don't, because I lecture to healthcare professionals mainly. So I think it's unfair that lay people don't know this. And it takes about 10 years for information to go from science research to layperson. 10 years. Like, so that 10 years is too long for me. So this is a perfect medium for me to share. So I thank you to Christina and yourself for allowing me to get this out there sooner. So Dr. Uche, or Uche, as I will pronounce it, is U-C-H-E, right? Yeah. So, so Dr. Uche, my website is uh, D-R-U-C-H-E. They can message me there. It, my phone number, if you're out loud, I got to get that phone number off, but they can actually text me uh, on as well. You know, I'm serious. That's how Trump's program. Like, I, I'm really out there to help as many people as I can. I love getting people excited, like to ignite their passion. You should see people's faces because it, it gives people hope. People think, oh, I'm 40, or I'm 60, or... My mom has dementia. I was told I'm, I'm pre-diabetic. Hey, sleep is the easy first hack to, to, to stack the deck in your favor. I'm not guaranteeing you, but, but to stack the deck in your favor, people go, Doc, I, I'm going I'm to get a sleep mask. And you, you see the sense of hope in people. Like, I, I love that. It, it makes my day. 
I'm living with a lot of ideas and things to do. Common knowledge is not common practice, but after hearing you just keep hitting it hard and using those analogies, <laughs> I think I'm ready to turn a new the deodorant for sure. The perfume, the deodorant. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm Christiana Eggy. And I'm Sherry Marie Chu. See you next time on Forever Young. Until then, keep smiling because you're never too old to become younger. The Forever Young podcast is created and produced by Christiana Eggy and Sherry Marie Chu. And it is produced and engineered by Elise Hill. The podcast represents our opinions and those of our guests. The content should not be taken as medical advice. It is for informational purposes only. And because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Special thanks to the Ella Accelerator for bringing Christiana and Sherry together. If you like the show, please tell your friends and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. New episodes are available every other Wednesday. Have questions? Email us at ourforeveryoungpodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram and Facebook under Our Forever Young Podcast. Thank you for listening.